The NFL has its first back-to-back Super Bowl champs in over two decades as the Kansas City Chiefs beat the San Francisco 49ers in Super Bowl 58, 25-22. And man, did we witness history. Do we witness greatness? Well, we've been witnessing both of those things actually for some time right now. We're going to go over just what I'm talking about. And also, we were left kind of with our heads scratching a little bit and have some more questions than we have answers as we preview everything that we saw in Super Bowl 58. I'm your host, Matthew Raritan, and this is Total Sports Talk Beyond the Lights. Well, guys, your Super Bowl 58 champs, whether you like it or not, is the Kansas City Chiefs. And man, it's almost like we predicted that, the three of us. I mean, who would have thought? But uh, there was a lot of, uh, you know, there was a lot of things that happened in that game. It could have gone either way. That's how close it was. It was a nail biter till the very end. So we didn't really know at that point who was going to win the game. Yes, we had our predictions, but it could have went one way or another. And that's pretty much exactly what we're going to talk about in this first segment is, well, what were the keys for not only the victory for the Chiefs, but what were the keys in the the Niners and how they could have won the game? Or what were the big impact, the big plays that might have prevented it or could have helped them win the game? But first, I'm going to introduce my co-host here. We've got David Streep. What's up, y'all? And we've got Ed Smith. Welcome, y'all. Well, guys, I know you guys watched the Super Bowl, and I'm sure you guys weren't left shocked because just like we did when we previewed the Super Bowl, we all predicted the Kansas City Chiefs to win the Super Bowl, and we all had it pretty close and, for the most part, low scoring. And that, that's kind of what it was. These defenses really showed up, and it was not a high-scoring game, although it could have been easily. Who knows what could have happened. But in the end, it was a 25-22 to overtime victory for the Kansas City Chiefs. And overtime isn't something that we see often in the Super Bowl. I mean, the uh, last time it happened was the very first time it ever happened, and that was the Patriots against uh, the Falcons in the epic collapse we all know of the 28-3. to Kyle Shanahan was there as well, um, and we will most likely uh, refer to that again this episode. But I want to kind of just talk about actually the keys to victory for the Chiefs and why the Chiefs won this game. And guys, all I got to say is this, and that is Patrick LaVon Mahomes II. Him alone could almost be my Chiefs' key to their victory here, but... There is more than just that. Uh, key plays to me that had a big impact uh, for the Chiefs winning was, honestly, th- there's a lot of different ones, but the Harrison Bucker 57-yard field goal, uh, making a field goal like that and now setting a record in the Super Bowl is a very tough task. The pressure is there. Yes, they played indoors. There's no win, but uh, playing in the Super Bowl is already tough is nails and there's a reason why there the record was actually set earlier in the game with a jake mooney 55 yard field goal it it seems like almost every nfl game now you watch there's 55 plus yard field goal like it's it happens all the time but in the super bowl does not happen all the time hence why a 57 yard field goal is now the record in the super bowl by harrison bucker so you've got that another one was on the uh Chiefs special teams here where they blocked an extra point. I remember this exact moment. I sat there. I looked at my wife and I said, he's got to make this. You don't know how big this is if if he misses this. There's something telling me something's going to happen here. That's exactly what happened as the Chiefs blocked an extra point that could have made the game a four-point game. Well, now it brought it to a three-point deficit as we know it matters a lot, and actually it 
it went in the Chiefs' favor as they end up tying the game just a little bit later on down the road. Um, and all the, the third down stops, especially on the last drive in the fourth quarter and in overtime, I think those were huge. Just when the Niners felt like they were getting a little bit of momentum, they were driving down the field, first down, second down, they were getting nice chunk yardages. They were getting these first downs. But then when it came down to a third down situation, that's when it really, you saw the Chiefs and Steve Spagnola really kick into high gear on their play calling. And they they just, the Niners did not know how to answer. Uh, so I think when it comes to those plays, but I want to get back to Patrick Mahomes here, guys. Fourth and one, third and one in overtime. There's just no one better than him. There really isn't. And he's who I trust to have at quarterback when the game is on the line in the Super Bowl. I mean, he had half of his rushing yards, which he ended the game with 66, just in the final drive in the fourth quarter and in overtime. He got 33 rush yards there, and that's when it mattered the most. Fourth and one, just immediately into overtime. Um, what does he do? He used his legs, got an easy first down. And then third and one in overtime where if they didn't get that first down, they would have just kicked the field goal and it would have tied it. The Niners get the ball back. He ran and got, I think it was almost a 15-yard run that really set them up in the red zone to eventually get a touchdown three plays later. He did everything that he needed to do for this team to really win the game. And guys, we have been seeing his greatness for a while now. And just sitting there almost predicting it as it happened last night, I just couldn't help but feeling that this is exactly how we all felt when we saw Tom Brady in the Super Bowl but I felt like almost just a little bit more. You're seeing the athletic standpoint that Tom Brady didn't have. You're seeing that with Patrick Mahomes. And although I still feel that Tom Brady has the highest IQ I think I've ever seen as, with a, as a quarterback in the NFL on the field, I think Patrick Mahomes is right behind him. And when this is all said and done, I do think Patrick Mahomes may go down as one of the greatest players to ever touch the field in the NFL and possibly over Tom Brady. That's just what I see with Patrick Mahomes when I see him there and when I see him play in the Super Bowl, most of all. No, he's not rushing it. He is calm. He just looks like he is poised out there. But when it comes to those keys to victories for the Chiefs, uh, I, I count all of those. I count all those plays there that I felt really made such a big impact, even if it was small. To me, it seemed like if that didn't happen, the game could have gone another way, especially that 57-yarder field goal. Uh, if he misses that, how much field position does that swing in the Niners' favor? A lot it does. So I think all those little things do matter, uh, and that's how I saw it there. But David, how do you see things when it came to the Niners' side? Maybe it was plays or what they could have done or why they did lose the game. Well, um, if you ask me what the uh, what the key what, you know was for the 49ers um, for them to achieve vi uh, victory, to me it's really simple, and that is don't be total freaking morons, all right? Like, I don't think I've ever seen a team lose a big game because of so many mistakes, so many uh, preventable mistakes. Like, where do we even begin, okay? Uh, first of all, uh, Christian McCaffrey had 15 touches in the first half, and then he only had eight touches in the second half. And then he did have eight touches in overtime when Kyle Shanahan realized, you know, I probably should give my uh, best weapon uh, more touches. But even then, you just felt like it was too little too late with the momentum that the Chiefs uh, uh, cl uh, clearly had. Uh, there was a point in the game where they just, for whatever reason, they totally failed to defend uh, Mahomes on that one uh, fourth and one run. Um, there's also, like, not knowing the overtime rules, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about later on in the game, but how do you not know the, the overtime rules? Uh, that's a little embarrassing. 
And then the second one, not even covering Meikle Hardman on that game winning drive. And now, you know, maybe, uh, you know, uh, maybe for that last one, uh, maybe I'm being a little too harsh because you might say, well, it was a, uh, it was a, a fake, it was a fake and they were uh, duped, duped by that. And, uh, you know, uh, you're not always going to be uh, perfect, perfect in, in coverage. Every team's going to have a breakdown in, in coverage. And plus, you know, the guys uh, look tired. And, yes, they absolutely look tired. Logan Ryan, the guy covering uh, Michael Hardman, uh, looked exhausted. But the point I'm trying to make here is that it just adds up to all of the miscues that the 49ers had and really miscues, you know, that uh, that could have been avoided. And then, you know, when it comes to Kyle Shanahan, listen – is Kyle Shanahan a great coach? Obviously, yes. All right. But we see this time and time again, like when it comes to just situational awareness, just when it comes to just the most basic little things, Kyle Shanahan time and time again proves that he is just utterly clueless. And you got to you gotta wonder, like how can a man who, again, obviously is a very good coach and has led – the 49ers to, you know, great success, like the best success that they've seen since uh, uh, Jim Jim Harbaugh. Well, like, how can that same guy just be a total doofus when it comes to the most basic crap? And we cannot ignore the fact that as the Falcons offensive coordinator, obviously we, we know what happened there. The Falcons blew a 28-3 lead. You know, when the Chiefs and the 49ers played each other for the first time, a few years ago, let's remember the 49ers were up double digits and they blew that lead and then proceeded to lose by double digits. And then, of course, last night, the uh, 49ers were up by double digits and then they lost. And you might say, well, that was like, you know, early in the game and they were only up 10 nothing. Okay, yeah, I get that. But it follows a pattern that, you know, whenever, whenever a team being led by Kyle Shanahan, whenever it seems like they have something good going on, they just seem to blow it. I mean, I'm like, it just, it just totally uh, boggles my mind. I mean, Ed, do you have any comments about Kyle Shanahan or you know anything about what I said regarding the 49ers? It was <clears throat> any time that they had anything going in the first quarter, they they shot themselves in the foot I, because you saw back to back penalties on Trent Williams for holding. When you're How trying, rare is that? Exactly. When you're trying to get some momentum after CMC had already fumbled the ball away on the first drive and they were driving uh, down toward the end zone. I mean, part of it, you got to give credit to the Chiefs defense for standing up to him, uh, to CMC on that. But it was just one mistake after another that was killing their momentum, which they were gaining. They were outplaying the Chiefs in that first half. But every time they got moving, they would do something to themselves. It was don't beat yourself. And they just couldn't do it. You know, they couldn't get to the point where they could get those points so they could run and hide from the Chiefs. Because we all know if you if you leave Patrick Mahomes anywhere within striking distance, he is going to be calm, cool, collected. He's got such a rapport with Andy Reid that they know what they're doing and they know how they're going to attack you, and they're going to be patient. They're going to be patient but be able to sn- uh, uh, attack and snipe at you like a viper when it's time uh, to get those points back and take the game away from you. I think you make a great point, Ed. And, you know, like last night, you know, I, I texted you guys. I was like, hey, you know, maybe we should have taken the 49ers being a more talented team into consideration because clearly that's what, what's happening right now. And then, Matthew, I don't remember what you said, but you basically said something along the lines of like, you know, wait till uh, Spagnola uh, gets his game plan going. Uh, you implied something like that. Oh, absolutely. And I'll talk more about that here in a bit. But it's there's a reason why there's two halves in football. You could play amazing in the first half, but come the second half, especially in the Super Bowl, if you don't, well, you're going to pay. And that's, that's, in my opinion, essentially what happened there. But I know I talked about it a little bit when I mentioned the keys to victory of why the Chiefs won was certain special teams aspects. But, Ed, was there some more that you saw there, even if it's something that I already mentioned? 
Oh boy, yes I did. <laughs> you know, kickers themselves kind of create kind of a golfer's mentality. Do you use the pitching wedge to get over the line? Mm-hmm. Do you use the driver to uh, to get those long kicks through? And an extra point, you know, you're you're just laying up a nice six iron to get up on the green and do the thing. He hit that so thin, it went basically straight into the helmet of the Chiefs defenders. You can't have that. Yeah. You know, when you are this deep into the season, final game of the year, Super Bowl, you're going to hit a thin six iron and hit the Chiefs defender right in the face. That's not going to not going to win you that game. You know, I mentioned last week one thing that I, you know, am animated about when it comes to the playoffs. These games, these playoff games up into and including the Super Bowl will test how buttoned up you are as an organization top to bottom. You know, David, you alluded to the overtime rules not not being talked about as much on the San Francisco uh, sideline, whereas Kansas City, they were having meetings about it. That's uh, two totally different aspects. One is buttoned up and ready to go. The other one is not. But who another part that was not ready to go was the uh, punting teams. You know, the punters did a great job in field position. Yeah. You know, I, you know, we talked about it last week where the punters, you know, that was going to be a battle of field position considering the defenses that we're working with. Well, it all goes out the window if you muff the punt. You know, with, <laughs> you know, if you let uh, the other team fall on a muffed punt and give them field position at the 16-yard line, guess what? There's a good chance that you're going to lose any momentum that you could possibly have, any hope that you could have to not let a team like the Chiefs into the end zone, which it only took two plays to do. And who had MVS as the anytime touchdown? Wasn't me. Wasn't me at all. So uh, that was a huge part in the uh, in the special teams, you know, that muffed punt, the missed extra point. Yes, we had the the record for longest field goal made and then broken, you know, so it was good and bad. But in the end, what you saw was the Chiefs special teams being more buttoned up and ready to go than San Francisco special teams. And it showed in the end. Yeah, yeah. At, at one point, it seemed like to me the point the, these punts were like the most exciting thing to be to happen <laughs> because it, the, Richie James for the the Kansas City Chiefs he just had this vendetta that he was going to, to get past Chris Conley and twice Chris Conley just laid him out and guys it was fun because they were really going at it on this punt game like it was it. They were not fair catching it for a stretch. It just kept going and going, and that eventually actually led to the the muff on uh, the Niners' side, where it ended up hitting their player. Then the guy went to pick it up and and missed it as well. But it's like it was so exciting. It's like you knew something was going to happen. The same way that we felt with Jake Mooney, that we just felt that he was going to do something to cause his team to possibly lose this game we didn't trust him and that's what happened it's it's just those feelings we have but that those the punt game was exciting that to actually see and you don't hear that often come out of a lot of people's mouths when it comes to a football game it's the punting side but last night it was pretty fun to watch the other thing too um you know and i was going to uh mention this when i was talking about kyle shanahan until i forgot to but i want to pose a question to you guys to me it felt like in the second half of of the uh, of the game that Kyle Shanahan was really trying hard to turn uh, Brock Purdy into like into sort of a, a hero, and then that failed uh, spectacular, you know, spectacularly. Um, as best as I can say that. Uh, did you guys uh, feel the same way, Ed? Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, I was going to save this for a little bit later on, but I'll go ahead and say it now. Uh, for all the weapons that. San Francisco had the advantage on over the Chiefs. If you look at uh, at the uh, combined of Debo Samuel, George Kittle, 
Brandon Ayuk, uh, they had a total of eight catches for 86 yards. Oh, uh, that is just brutal. Let's you know, not I- forget that. And we talked about it before, but the 49ers set a record by having four players with a thousand scrimmage yards. That never, that, that had never happened before. And then Ed, you talk about that. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, with Kyle Shanahan, you know, you have to see what's happening on the field. Uh, who else saw Chris Jones just blam, 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 blam. You know, the entire team was was designed to go up to the line of scrimmage, put their hands up, and get in the passing lanes of a six foot quarterback. Yeah. You know, and it was it turned out to be the difference. You know, there were some other um, coaching time management mistakes that I saw of what I would see in hindsight, but that's not my call to make in the moment. Uh, we'll talk about that. I hear in some uh, decisions here later. Yeah. Chris Jones. I mean, they've done it the whole year that, that guy, if he's not in your face, he's batting balls down at the line. And it was just a recipe for success with Brock Purdy. But uh, if you don't remember, we gave certain predictions on here when we did our Super Bowl preview, and now we're going to kind of go over, well, were we correct or were we, well, kind of full of crap on our predictions here? Okay. And and we're going to start with the first one here, and that was, will Christian McCaffrey outplay Isaiah Pacheco? And, well, I think we all agreed on this one where we said, yes, he would and we were absolutely correct. Yes, earlier David said the second half, Christian McCaffrey uh, did not have the production that he had in the first half, but he was still such a big factor on the field that not only was he le- the leading rusher for the Niners, he was the leading receiver as well. Christian McCaffrey did what he did the entire year, and if the Niners won, he was going to be your MVP or Jawan Jennings only because he had the uh, the 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 special, the Philly special kind of with the double pass. But uh, Christian McCaffrey just did amazing. And Isaiah Pacheco also was a big factor on the field, but not as much as Christian McCaffrey. And that's okay because no one really is as much as Christian McCaffrey. I mean, you guys agree on McCaffrey's play in the Super Bowl? I mean, McCaffrey had, I think, 160 total yards and one touchdown. Pacheco had 92 total yards, no touchdowns. Yes, CMC, as well predicted, clearly outplayed uh, Pacheco. Obviously, it doesn't matter, but we're just speaking facts here. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I agree Christian McCaffrey outplayed Pacheco, but I think Shanahan misused Christian McCaffrey Mm and how he was deployed. 100%. 100%. McCaffrey could have easily had over 200 yards, I feel like, in this game, honestly. And, and that's crazy to even hear against a Chiefs defense who has held most offenses in check the entire year. I think McCaffrey could have easily had over 200 yards had as I, Shanahan used him correctly. As I, as I said before, you know, um, uh, uh, McCaffrey did have uh, eight touches in, in overtime, so kudos to Shanahan for that. But like I also said, that – you just felt like it was too little, too late by that point with the momentum that the Chiefs had. Yeah. Um, our next one on correct or crap is Travis Kelsey over George Kittle or Travis Kelsey being the primary receiver. And this one's tough. I mean, as far as head-to-head with Kittle, it was a no-brainer in the Super Bowl. Kelsey was by far the more uh, uh, primary and dominant uh, receiver out of the two. But – Kelsey was not in the first half as far as the Chiefs' targets. Kelsey only had one target in the first half. And in all honesty, the Niners had the best defense against him in the first half. They would not let him free whatsoever. So I want to, Steve Wilkes and that defense did tremendous in the first half. But like all great players do and great coaches and great teams, they adjust. And that's what happened in the second half as Kelsey did end the game with the most receiving yards um, by both teams and by the, the uh, chiefs as well. So Kelsey, I, we predicted that as well. So I pretty much say Mm -hmm. that's also a clean sweep, but uh, how you guys feel on Kelsey itself, especially being 
the, the first half he had was nothing. Eventually, we were correct. Yeah. <laughs> we knew we would eventually. Uh, Kittle, I, I don't know. Did he go into witness protection? Because the only thing I saw him do the entire night was reach out for that one first down at the in the fourth quarter. I mean, if that's the only production you're going to get out of George Kittle, then what is he even doing there? You know, just, you know, disperse, disperse the ball better. Have a better game plan. Do something, you know, because the Chiefs were really tightening down on those Chiefs, uh, on those uh, 49ers receivers and not letting them free to do what they normally do, which is create, you know, crossings and, all this stuff that uh, opens up the windows to be as large as they possibly can, you know, in that quarterback friendly system that Brock Purdy's running mm-hmm. with Travis Kelsey. He, I saw him blocking. I saw him blocking downfield for his other wide receivers. You know, there was the unfortunate incident where he wanted the ball, you know, so badly to show out for his girlfriend that I, that you know it got out of hand but in the end he did show up as the leading receiver as he stated uh, for the chiefs and uh, like we said it was eventually correct because they were both MIA in the first half yeah and let's not also forget that even though Kelsey himself did not have any touchdowns he did have that one reception which led to Meikle's, uh game winning touchdown catch yeah, Travis Kelsey, like I said, great players will eventually show up. And Kelsey is great. So that's exactly what he did. It, him and Mahomes, especially when it mattered most towards the end of the game, they both showed up. And you you saw the combination that they've had for all these years now. But um, our next one here was Mahomes will look the most ready for the moment. And I want to say I answered this earlier Yes, he he did, especially more than Purdy. But here's the thing. Purdy in the first quarter, I'll say, first quarter, looked like the far superior quarterback. I mean, this is a guy who looked so relaxed in, in the pocket, was looking really good, really commanded this game in the first quarter. I mean, I want to say he started out 8 for 10, 105 yards. He was looking great. Um that did change and Mahomes we saw him throw an interception and that was his first interception in uh two different postseasons I mean stretching back to last year he hadn't had an interception and it still didn't phase him we saw what Mahomes did at the end of the game when it mattered the most and he looked the most ready out of both the quarterbacks but I do think that some of it has to do with Kyle Shanahan's play calling just like David said for Brock Purdy? I'm going to go with no. I, I think it's crap. I think Purdy was more prepared, but Mahomes is just experienced in the moment. You know, so he knows how to handle things when they get rough. With Purdy, he looked like his heart rate was going down as it got more stressful within the game. That tells me that he is completely confident, completely comfortable with what they are trying to do. It's just the play calling was that bad when you got down to the end of the game versus what was being thrown at you. Yeah, I think, you know, in my opinion, um, the way that I see it, you know, Patrick Mahomes didn't play that well uh, in the first half. Now the box score uh, will show that he only missed like two or three uh, passes. um, But like, you know, you know, almost all the catches that his receivers made, the 49ers uh, stopped them from gaining uh, any sort of uh, uh, long yardage. Um, But of course, as we all, you know, saw coming, uh, Patrick Mahomes uh, rose to the occasion and he emerged as the uh, superior uh, quarterback uh, in the second half, especially. Yeah. Purdy has a knack for just, being so calm. That's one thing that I really like about him. You don't see that in a second-year quarterback and even a rookie like he was last year. Just have that presence of not being stressed. So that 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 that's major kudos to him too. So I could see it kind of being also on the crap side, Ed. Um, but this set, this next one here is that Steve Wilkes 
outclassed in the game plan. And I'm going to start off by saying it's crap. I think Steve Wilkes actually called a tremendous game considering the injuries he had too. And we are going to talk about that one specific injury here shortly. But uh, it, I think Wilkes called a great game, but there's only so much you can do to really contain Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. And he did that for almost three quarters of the game. That, that that's how ineffective Travis Kelsey really was for a while because the Niners had such a great game plan on them, but there's only so long you can you can keep them contained before they really break out, and that's what we saw. So I think it's crap. I think Steve Wilkes did, did actually a pretty great uh, game call. Yeah, real quick, I do kind of want to take back what I uh, what I said earlier um, because you know if you know since Patrick, Patrick Mahomes did only miss a few uh, passes and then his receivers not like doing much, well, obviously that's more his you know receivers' fault than it was uh, Patrick Mahomes. But even so, um, you just you could just see that Patrick Mahomes was clearly rattled by Steve Volk's defense uh, in the first half, and he you know he did not look uh, comfortable at all. And, uh, yeah, I'm in agreement with you, uh, Matthew. I, I thought Wilkes had a good game plan in the first half at least. Yeah, it's it's complete crap because uh, Wilkes, and, Wilkes had such a good game plan that the only touchdown in regulation for the Chiefs was, uh, was after the muffed punt. Mm-hmm. I mean, otherwise, he kept them fairly well in check the entire time. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Where the, that's where the complimentary football – being buttoned up comes into play because if you put your defense that far in the hole, guess what? You're going to, you're going to give up points, points you didn't need to give up. And it wound up biting them in the end because of it. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to jump over to the other defensive coordinator. And that was that Steve Spagnola would rattle this offense would rattle Brock Purdy. And for me, I want to say at first it's crap, but it's also partially true. But I think that there's one person he rattled the most, and that's Kyle Shanahan. I think Kyle Shanahan really overthought this, was really trying to play a chess match, and completely scrapped his game plan that worked successfully in the first half and just kind of winged it in the second half. And I think that's why we saw the drop in production with Christian McCaffrey, where they were a run-first team in the first half and pretty much the whole year, and they abandoned that. And then he set himself up in these third-down situations where Steve Spagnola is just such a genius. And Ed actually really honed in on this point last week where Spagnola knows when to bring the cornerback blitzes and he did that both times on the third downs when they needed it the most in the end. And it it totally rattled Brock Purdy in that offense when that happened. So that's why I say partially true because Brock Purdy was rattled in those third down uh, situations because he Steve Spagnuolo really out outplayed and out uh, just coached that team there. So, But the first half, I see Spagnuolo, I didn't think, did anything over the top that really – rattled the Niners but I think in the second half that's where Steve Spagnuolo is the best he has some of the best second half adjustments next to Nick Saban and Bill Belichick in my opinion yeah um, what what I would say is I don't think he rattled Brock Purdy I think he rattled Kyle Shanahan just like you were saying so it's crap that he rattled Brock Purdy it's absolutely correct that he uh, that he rattled Kyle Shanahan, because in the end, there was that third third down and four with about two minutes remaining, just under two minutes remaining. And Kyle Shanahan somehow, for some reason, tries to throw the ball with double blitz coming at him instead of trying to run the ball so you could force the Chiefs to either call a timeout, give up one of your precious commodities you know, for the end of the game, or two, let the clock run down and Patrick Mahomes doesn't have that extra time to get down the field and tie the ball game. Either one of the, you know, by running the ball in that situation, you're actually helping yourself. Mm-hmm. Kyle Shanahan was so rattled that he couldn't help himself. He had to 
throw the ball, and there was no chance for Brock, six foot Brock, to get pat get the ball past these six foot five jumping monsters coming at him, because he, you know, talk about bringing the heat. There were two corners. It was a double corner blitz, along with the inside rush of Chris Jones, uh, you know, and the inside line. So all of that was coming down on him. There's no chance for Purdy to get the ball out in that situation. So if you run the ball, you put yourself in a more advantageous position by either taking away from the Chiefs or or not giving them enough time to do the uh, do the job that they did. The Chiefs' defensive backs just utterly dominated the 49ers receivers in man-to-man uh, coverage because they were in great position to have that kind of domination, which ultimately comes back to coaching. And I will say McDuffie had a great pass breakup in the end zone over Debo. Yeah. That was that was picture-perfect coverage that, you know, a lot of, a lot of times you'll see people want to get flags on that. There's no chance a flag could be thrown on that particular play. Yeah, and th- there were times where Kyle Shanahan would have a great play call. Like there was one that it, Tony Romo talked about actually a couple of times where he, they lined him up in trips formation and they would cause a safety to have to cover Brandon Ayuk, who's such a great route runner. And you're seeing that and you're like, all right, that's just one play. Why can't you keep doing that keep trying to come up with these 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 plays that are really making it tough for the Chiefs and he would only do it every now and then. I mean that Juwan Jennings um uh, uh slant touchdown, you know, at the uh, towards the end that that was a great, you know, play call, but it's like he was he wasn't doing a whole lot to really uh be a superior play caller in my opinion in this Super Bowl. It was by far Steve Spagnola and his play calling. So that's why I really feel like he was the one who rattled him. But uh, speaking of rattled, um, I think everyone was quite rattled when we saw Travis Kelsey go up to his head coach, get in his face, and just bump him, however you want to describe it, in the first quarter. We all saw this. The whole world saw this. And, well, if you already had an opinion about Travis Kelsey, this doesn't maybe surprise you. But if you didn't have an opinion, you probably do now. I get that it's the Super Bowl, but that was that was something you never do. And, I mean, A.J. Brown, he brought up a good point in the tweet. If you didn't see it, if that was him, he'd be out of the league. Well, I'll almost second that and say if that was anyone else, they would have been benched, okay? You don't do that. That's Noah Gray, their second-string tight end. He does that. Guess who's not playing a single snap the rest of the game? Noah Gray. But since it's Travis Kelsey, you know damn well he was going to continue to play. You don't do that to your head coach. You you just don't. And the fact that he did, I mean, I'll even go as far as saying that was a punk move, and you just made the world, the whole world look at you as a punk before that. Yeah, I mean, I think Tra- Travis Kelsey, to me, has – turned into the most unlikable player in the NFL. And to be quite honest with you, I pretty much lost whatever respect I had for him um, when he was on that podcast with his brother. And he tried to paint Justin Tucker as the bad guy. Like, who the hell do you think you are? So, yeah, just, you know, total total clown move on Travis Kelsey's part. Uh, in fairness, I can see I can see it as, like, him, like, you know, being uh, caught, caught in the moment you know, and whatnot. And I'm sure he and Andy Reid talked it over, maybe even, you know, uh, laughed over it. So, you know, whatever. Um, but just with the kind of reputation that Travis Kelsey has built for himself uh, this, this season, he certainly didn't help himself with what, with what he did there. Well, I'm looking at it as, you know, look at what is going on before that happened. The 49ers were dominating this game over the Chiefs. They had the ball 11 minutes of the first 15, and Kelsey just couldn't stand being on the sideline anymore without the ball going to him when they get on the field because he hadn't been targeted yet. So he wanted the ball, and yes, he got up in Andy Reid's face. And by the way, Andy Reid is maybe the most respected guy, respected coach in the NFL, 
at this point. So to have him go up to Andy Reid and get in his face, that's part of the reason why everybody is calling him a punk today because of how well-respected Andy Reid is. What we don't see is the the mentor-mentee relationship that they have between those two that they can slough something something like that off and it's not a big deal. When Andy Reid was asked about it at the after the game, he's like, Oh, it's just off balance and I got bumped. It's not a big deal. You know, they they play it off. And you know, when you go to win the game, it's easy to play it off. You know, if they had lost that game and they were answering those type of questions, I'm sure Andy Reid would still play it off because he is not going to throw his players under the bus for something like that. I mean, yes, it was a bad look, but when you know Travis Kelsey's history of getting overly emotional in the middle of a game, especially one in which he thinks that he should be the guy in it, I I can see why it happened. I don't particularly like it, but I can see why it happened. Well, yeah, I want to say, I would, yeah, I just want to say what's even crazier to me is you have Kelsey who's been in the league. I mean, what, seven years or so, eight years. And the person who I think had the best uh, interaction on how they handle things was Rashi Rice. You saw him and Mahomes get into it over uh, differences of how they saw things happen. But Rashi Rice really was trying to let Mahomes know I was open. Like there was a play where I had pretty much a walk-in touchdown, but you didn't see him going over there bumping into his head coach. And Rashi Rice is a rookie. So I thought that that was, in my opinion, I respected that more. And Mahomes, you know, was drawing back at him about it because, you know, this this is Mahomes. He's the vet of the team. But uh, Mahomes is human. He's going to miss him, and he did miss that one. But I prefer seeing that interaction between the receiver and, and the quarterback versus what I saw with Travis Kelsey and the head coach. I just feel like laying your hands on the head coach is just a different situation in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I I thought it was a total punk move, but I think, I think we can just chalk it up as, you know, uh, your best, uh, your best weapon, just being, being caught in the moment. And then, you know, you can just move on from it. Yeah, well, speaking about moving on, this is going to be very tough for this player to move on from this. And this was, this was horrible. I felt horrible for the for this guy when I saw this. And that's Trey Greenlaw, tearing his Achilles. You know, probably doing what he's done every every game, going onto the field, and his season is over just like that in the Super Bowl. I felt nothing but just you know pain for that guy. They, Trey Greenlaw is actually a phenomenal linebacker who, if he was on any other team, would probably be one of the best linebackers. But when you're on the same team as Fred Warner, you're not getting talked about as much. Well, Greenlaw should be talked about because he is an amazing linebacker. That guy is actually a game changer, in my opinion. And the fact that he missed pretty much the entire game because obviously he tore his Achilles. I think in the second, their second drive is it, it, it just sucks. I don't like seeing that for anyone, and it, it just hurts seeing that happen to him, especially in the Super Bowl. And what's really like you know un- unfortunate is like it's the way he tore his you know Achilles, a, a total non-contact uh, injury, and you know the way that he got that injury, you know guys like I like I think it happens to all of us. Like certainly for me, there's been moments where I tripped or I almost where I almost tripped when I'm I'm walking across a flat surface. There's nothing there, and then my legs just don't want to want to work with me. So like you know, that like that could happen to uh, any one of us. So just, you know, brutal injury, especially in that manner. I'll give two examples of where I've seen that happen before. One was a kicker, Gramatica. Mm -hmm. If y'all remember that, that was the kicker for the Cardinals that was very exuberant when he would make one and he's like jumping around and everything and he lands and tore his Achilles. After making a kick, I mean, just just falls in onto the ground in a puddle, and 
it was like, wow. I think I vaguely and, remember that. And I, <laughs> I feel like the entire world just kind of looked at him and said, well, that's what you get. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that was so not cool, but it, it kind of was, was what it was. Now, as far as the Super Bowl is concerned, I remember Super Bowl uh, 27 with the Cowboys and Bills where the Cowboys had a defensive touchdown uh, from a fumble recovery at the two-yard line. And there was a player, Jimmy Jones. Yes, they had Jimmy Johnson and Jerry Jones, you know, at that time. This was Jimmy Jones. He was the defensive uh, uh, defensive lineman. Another JJ. Another JJ. And in the middle of the celebration, in the corner of the end zone, outside of the field of play, he tore his Achilles in the celebration. He didn't even score the touchdown. He was just there, you know, high-fiving and jumping around with his teammates, and he and that happened. So, yes, this Greenlaw thing, horrible thing for him, not the worst thing that I've seen happen. Yeah, yeah, just Super Bowl, man. I mean, any, anything could happen. It's just you hope it's not that. Um, exactly. But Super Bowl, it's also known for its halftime shows, and I'm interested to hear uh, your guys' opinions, especially Ed, I because – my boss asked me today what I thought about the halftime show, and I knew his thoughts would be different than mine. And although I don't think it's up there as one of the greatest, I thought it was a pretty good halftime show. Granted, it's because you know it was the music I grew up listening to. It was nice seeing Ludacris come out in his Dwight Goodman um, uh, dodgeball attire, and uh, just seeing. Uh, Little John. It was just it was it was really cool to see. I thought it was I thought it was a good halftime show. It wasn't overblown with with um like Katy Perry did with her theatrics and all that coming out with those props, but it it was simple, but I thought it was I thought it was really good and it, you kind of had like that Atlanta feeling because of the the marching band and all that. So, if you look at it like I did when it comes to that, I thought it was a pretty good halftime show, but I want to hear Ed's opinion just because we got different generations here. Well, I will call that real music. (laughs) Turn that down. (laughs) No, you know, actually I enjoyed the Alicia keys part better uh, than any, pretty much anything else because to me, Usher only has one song and it's an innocuous. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Oh my God, is this really music at this point? Yeah, but he has a residency in Vegas and he performs every night. Uh, if he sweats that much in five minutes being on the Super Bowl stage, I can just imagine what kind of flood of pool water <laughs> is on the stage at his residency. It was, it was fine. Yeah. I had, it didn't knock my socks off. I kind of missed the idea of. Lady Gaga jumping from the from the top of the stadium onto the stage, or the, you know the Megazord that Katy Perry rode yeah. in on. I I kind of missed that part. I, it was simple. It was fun. It it was a lot of stuff that I've never I never listened to Usher outside of what I heard in the club at the times that I had gone to the club more than twenty years ago. Uh, but it was fine. It was nothing really great. Uh, the fun, the funnest part to me was the roller skating. I oh, don't yeah. know where that came from. Yeah. I, I wanted them to start fighting each other because, you know, being in Austin, Texas myself, uh, there's a, there was a time where roller derby was a big thing here. And I just wanted to see that take place. You know, old school in me, you know, let's let's get some fighting on skates. I mean, how how great would that be? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of with I'm kind of with uh, Ed here, man. I was I was more more neutral toward the halftime show. It wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't the best show I ever saw. It wasn't the worst halftime show I, I ever saw. It was it was just like you know, right right there in the middle for me. But you know, like you know, uh, whose performance personally I thought was really good. I don't know about you guys, but I 
I really enjoyed uh, Post Malone's rendition of uh, America uh, the Beautiful. Uh, personally, I'm a I'm a big fan of Post Malone's music, and I knew the guy could sing, but my gosh, I didn't know he could sing that well. Yeah, he def he definitely stole the show. I I feel like I it was really it was really really nice to see. Post Malone is is a really cool guy. Uh, he seems like someone that would be really good to know, uh, get to know more. But do you guys remember that scene in Rocky Four? Um, when uh, Apollo Creed is pretty much getting his life beaten from him um, by Dolph, and you have the corner man that's like, just throw the damn towel. That was me, like to anyone, just give throw Usher the damn towel. He needs to wipe his sweat off. Just throw in the towel. Right? Come on. It was like, oh my, it was getting a little out of hand there, but um, but yeah, he he definitely sweats sweats a lot. But that's just that's just how it be. He was really laying it out there. In memory of the halftime show, I almost did this show completely shirtless. Oh, but, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we, we, we know you got a six-pack under under that shirt, Ed. Uh, oh, I, I have that in the fridge. Six, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, as well as the halftime show that is usually always known for in the Super Bowl, let's talk about the commercials. We have to talk about them. It, it's just always famous. I'll start with with my favorite, you know, I had two here and I know that one of them Ed's going to do, I want to see if I'm right. So I'm going to, I'll wait till it gets to him, but I'm going to go with my, my other one. And that was the Duncan commercial with the whole Boston, Boston gang with Ben Affleck, Matt Damon. Uh, you even had, um, uh, Donnie, Donnie Wahlberg in there. You, Tom Brady, they were, they were just missing uh, Mark Wahlberg, in my opinion. But I thought it was a pretty funny commercial to see them all. Ben Affleck with J-Lo. It, just, it, it seemed pure because they are married, so they, they, they know each other pretty well. But I thought it was a pretty funny commercial, especially Duncan being uh, invented in Boston. So it's it's definitely a Boston thing. If you've ever been to Boston, I've been there. You can find a Duncan on every corner like a Starbucks in New York City. It's just Duncan is everywhere. So that was one of my favorite commercials. There was a lot, but I thought that one was pretty funny. What about you, David? I'm in complete ag agreement with you, Matthew. Um, I thought the Duncan commercial was also, you know, uh, the best one. I, I especially uh, love the part in the end between uh, J-Lo and Tom Brady. I'm assuming yeah. mm -hmm. that was a reference to the two of them having having so many rings, you know, uh, between them. But you know, I thought it was I thought it was a nice little funny commercial, especially you know, amongst uh, a bunch of other commercials that were not that funny. And then if you don't if you don't mind, uh, you know, personally, I thought. You know, two commercials that were just absolutely uh, cringe. The Starry commercial with Ice Spice, that one was rough. And then that one commercial with uh, uh, Jason Momoa, I suffered from secondhand embarrassment. <laughs> Both commercials, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should have had maybe a good or bad. But, Ed, <laughs> let's, see, let's see if me and you had uh, the same brain here. Well, I have, a, I have a question first. What is an Ice Spice? You know, from, from back, she looked like Annie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Is she going to sing about tomorrow? I, yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> the commercial that I, I enjoyed probably the most was the mullet commercial. Oh, okay, the one okay. with the ATV ride. Yeah. Where it's business up front and a party in the back, baby. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know stone, stone cold Steve Austin out there getting a full mullet and his and the bear getting a mullet and the yeah. dog getting a mullet. Everybody gets mullet for for having for being around this ATV ride. I thought that was creative. I thought it was funny. I thought it was a fun thing to do. Because I saw too many of these commercials look to look to have an initiative as opposed to just be entertaining and fun. Yeah. Yeah. The the eight the mullet one, man, I I, I was waiting for Joe Dirt to make an appearance because it was that oh, was perfect be business in the front, party in the back. And I don't know if you guys know this or remember this, but Stone Cold, before he was Stone Cold, earlier in his career, had hair and he had like a mullet. Mm -hmm. So you got to look that up. But Ed, I really thought you were going to go with this one. I'm going to say it and you'll be like, you know, this was up there too. But I thought it was so damn funny was the almost Super Bowl winners by M&M's. 
It was the one that had Dan Marino, Terrell Owens in there. It was the almost Super Bowl win. I thought that was funny. It, I don't know why they uh, had um, Scarlett Johansson in there. I didn't get that part, but I thought it was funny because they they – they were mocking it, but they were having a good time about it. I just thought it was creative. So there was a lot of star, really star-studded commercials, in my opinion, where you saw people come out of nowhere. And who was it that was in um, – let's see, Dan Marino was in quite a bit of commercials. There were people that I saw in multiple commercials, and I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, uh, one commercial that I thought was uh... – Kind of funny, but it was like it was f- funny in a sort of uh, ridiculous uh, way. Was uh, that one uh, Baja Blast uh, commercial? You know, like when in the end they talked about uh, Mountain Dew Baja Blast being available in stores. And like my first thought was, wow, amazing. You put out this big ad for a product that's been in stores <laughs> for the past six months or so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, nostalgia. The the Clydesdales, that was also, you know, I see you, you, I'm grew up seeing the Clydesdales almost every Super Bowl. And it seemed like for a while they stopped doing it. And so seeing the, the Clydesdale and the Budweiser commercial was a cool nostalgia thing for me. But I think there were some good commercials because there wasn't some funny ones the last couple of years, in my opinion. I'm surprised none of y'all went with the making fun of Arnold Schwarzenegger's accent. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> chocolate. The chocolate. Chocolate. Yeah, you knew they were going to do that. Wasn't there also a uh, wasn't there also a, a commercial? I think it was a it was a Michelob Ultra commercial where like there there are these people like you know um, doing physical activity. They're like they're very fit and they're drinking Michelob beer. Well, I know Lionel Messi was yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, and Dan Marino was in that. I think it was was it Dan Marino? Yeah, it was, yeah, in it was Dan Marino. Yeah, yeah, so it was like, yeah, that that one, that one was kind of cool too. So, which like that didn't like that didn't really surprise me because you know Michelob is always marketed as like this you know low calorie beer, so it's like you can drink it and like you won't really feel a lot of effects from it. One less calorie. I think that's. I think that's. Yeah, there, one there. less calorie than what Mil- Miller Light. Miller Light or something. Right, what is like? What is up with that? Like, why does like? Is there some kind of beef between Michelob and Miller that I don't know about? Now that's probably just it. I mean, it, I don't know. <laughs> just calling out your competitors. You know, you can drive a car to where you're going, and the usher will park the car where you're going to be. Thank you, Christopher Walken. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That, that was actually pretty clever too. The whole Chris, Christopher Walken one. So there, there were some that they really put some thought into it, and I liked it because there was no really objective or or like what Ed was saying. There was no really like agenda to it. It was just being funny and just having a good ad. I thought it was. Yeah. Can you can you tell me mm-hmm. the Christopher Walken one was for? I, I know it was for a car, uh, but it, you know it's like. To me, I just thought it was funny, and that's what I—that's what I tune in for these commercials—is to see something that's gonna make me laugh. And I, I, the mullet one made me laugh, the Eminem ones, the Duncan one. So I didn't—I didn't think me and Dave were gonna have that in common. So we, we did with the Duncan one. So there were some funny ones out there, and that's what I love to see with the Super Bowl commercials—is just make me laugh. There was one. There was one. One other commercial that did like that did make me laugh pretty hard. But unfortunately, I can't remember what it was. But I will also add that at the end of the day, um, Super Bowl commercials were at their peak from the early to mid two thousands, and I don't think they're ever going to uh, reach that height ever again. PC okay. culture has kind of made them all vanilla. One hundred percent. Didn't they? Uh... Was it last year they tried recreating the Mean Joe Green one with Travis Kelsey? Was it last yeah. year? Yeah. yeah. How, how dare they? How dare they? That's all I got to say. I mean, I they that was a horrible commercial, they re- but I definitely remember that. Yeah. So, um, I mean, because that one was, it, there's nothing funny about it, but that one was always such a legendary uh, commercial, was that one. So, um, but they just, they don't do them as much as they used to, but I think this year there was more, uh, positives than there were the last couple of years in my, in my opinion, but some people may see it differently. So, but, uh, that's about all we have today, folks. So appreciate you guys, uh, tuning in. Uh, this was quite the Super Bowl. It actually was a really good game. Uh, 
we were pretty close on our predictions. I mean, David had it 25-24. I had it 24-23. So it just shows you that, uh, you know, we really tried kind of studying this game as best as we can. Vegas did as well. Vegas had a very horrible Super Bowl as every single bet pretty much went against Vegas. So <laughs> I, I love to see it. It is awesome. But that just tells me Vegas is going to do something to uh, make things right on their end. So just wait for March Madness. But uh, it's it, it was a great Super Bowl. I enjoyed it. I hope you guys enjoyed it. But uh, you know, leave your thoughts in the comments of what your favorite Super Bowl commercial was. If it wasn't any of ours, I like to hear what you guys have to say. And uh, if you guys enjoy the halftime show and who you think would be. Uh, a great next halftime show and who you think was the all-time best halftime show because there has been some great ones out there. So go ahead and leave that in the comments. Like and subscribe and share these videos as we appreciate all you guys do because it helps us out. But till next time, guys, we are rounding third and we are headed for home.